What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, animal abuse, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Denise Winters is a mother, author, YouTuber, and victim advocate from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. After a very tumultuous childhood, Denise's heartache did not stop. She was brutally attacked and raped by a man in her neighborhood in her early 20s. For years, she attempted to report her assault via many different avenues, especially when she realized her attacker was a serial killer haunting Milwaukee and surrounding areas over the span of two decades. Despite never receiving personal justice, she has continued to speak out on behalf of the North Side Strangler's other victims and to end the silence that she has been met with for years. She does so via her book, The Untold Story, The One Who Got Away, as well as her YouTube channel, Sip and Speak the Tea with D&D. The Broken Cycle Media team is so grateful for the advocacy and inspiration Denise has mustered, despite all that's come next in her journey. My name is Denise Winters. I'm a mom of four girls and one boy. He's deceased. He drowned at 15. I've just been dealing with it the best I can. If I stay into it and think about it a lot, it takes me to a dark place. So I try not to stay in that. When I was five years old, I just remember my mom taking me to my grandfather's house, which was filled with a lot of adults and children. I just remember a lot of chaos going on. My uncles were alcoholics. They come in dumping us upside the head. My grandfather got tired of him coming in, drunk, hitting on us. So he chopped him in the head with an axe. That was my first traumatization. A lot of fighting amongst each other. And me and my sister got jumped on a lot from our aunts that we were staying with. I didn't meet my grandmother until I got grown because she left my grandfather with 14 kids. My mother was the eldest, and they felt that she should stay to help. My grandfather raised them, so they were angry towards my mom, and they took it out on me and my sister. That went on for a while. Then my mother came back and got us. I assumed that she was trying to get her education because she got a associate's degree. Then she met this man, which was my stepfather. She later on married. I didn't see my father that often. He never spent any time with me. My mother... She financially did well, 
but emotionally she didn't. So I always felt unprotected, unwanted, and invisible. I have no baby pictures. I have no pictures until I was seven. One of the reasons I didn't feel protected because I was bullied at school. One day a bully came to the house and she actually let the bully in to beat me up. And I cried and pleaded with her, don't let that bully hurt me. She beat me up real bad and my mother allowed that. I just never felt protected with my mom. My mom always called me names. She was real verbally abusive towards me and my sister, but more towards me. I just never felt wanted. She would mention my biological father's last name. You're going to be just like them. You're not going to be S-H-I-T. So I became a person that wasn't going to be anything. I started not listening in school, not doing schoolwork, failing. I brought so much chaos on myself, and I said, let me try something different. I tried to please her. I started running track. I started doing this, look at me, mom, to make her proud of me. She never told me she was ever proud of nothing I did or nothing I would accomplish. So I never got the emotional part from her. My uncles started coming over there babysitting us, and they started touching me. I was scared to tell. It was a lot of that going on. My uncles, our aunts, I thought that was the way to live. We didn't have outside environment. I didn't learn that was wrong and that was incest until I finally spent the night somewhere else. The mom was like, why are you not sleeping? I'm waiting for the boys to come in. She said, no, that's incest. And I learned that was wrong. I ended up becoming real rebellious. When I became a teenager, I ended up running to a grown man, and he made me feel like he cared, which he didn't. And he tricked me in a way to have sex. Now I said no, and he put me in a lock that I couldn't get out of and just did his job. I didn't know anything about myself or my body because my mother never taught me about that either. Now I ended up becoming pregnant. I was 15. I was feeling sick, and my mother took me to the doctor, and he gave me three days to tell my mom, and I didn't, so she got the phone call. She beat me with a lawnmower cord. I ran away to my baby's father, sister house. My mom hired a private detective, and they found me at a store, and she said my name. I turned around, and she slammed me to the ground. She sent me away to a non-convent where girls that was pregnant would go, girls want to keep our babies because they were programming us to give up our children. They wouldn't talk to me, so I didn't know what was going on with my body. I basically learned mostly everything on my own. They would show us films and tell us the right thing to do is to give our babies up, go on with our life like nothing ever happened. The films they were showing with having natural childbirth, some voice telling me, you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to have your baby that way. And I didn't. I had all C-sections. I refused to get my baby up. My mom decided to come and get me. She talked it over my stepdad, and he decided to let me come on back. I ended up coming home, and they ended up basically raising my daughter. I went back into school. They ended up putting me back in 10th grade, and I've experienced racism there. That was at the time they was busting us. Then we just end up getting in so much trouble fighting and getting suspended. 
eventually calm down and learn how to get along. Then I end up dating someone from out of town that would come for every summer. He said, I'm going to come back for you when I graduate. I shrugged that off. And he did. We got together and I had a son. Life was good. I was working at pet meat packing. I was finna become a lead person. His brothers introduced us to this cocaine. I wanted the drug more and more. And I ended up walking off the job. Sometimes I turned to sex work. I tried to stay away from sex work. The company sent me to a rehab. It wasn't enough time. I think only had three weeks or so. That's all the company at the time required to pay for. And I ended up back out there. My mother ended up with my children. That drug was so strong and powerful. I had an identity crisis where I just didn't know where I belonged. There was no place for me. I faced death. I said, I'm going to fight for my life. I'm going to try to get myself together, and I'm going to fight for my kids. That went on for years and years. And when I decided to get my children back, my mom fought me for my children. She was saying, I'm glad you're getting yourself together. Get yourself above the water. And when I got myself above the water, she goes to get a private lawyer. So I had to fight for my kids. One day, I was standing with my sister. I was walking down the street. Told my sister that I'll meet her over there. I cut through a schoolyard, and then I see this short guy just walking back and forth. And he hollered, hey, you want to get high? And I was debating to myself, like, should I or should I not? He said, I just want to get high, no sex. And I said, okay. And said, he walked me to a couple of abandoned houses. I'm like, no, no. His lip curled up like he was shaking and looked like he was mad at me. So I'm like, where you work at? Try to ease the tension. He said he was a cook or chef or something. Then he said, okay, I got somewhere. I said, people had to be in the house. And that's what I told him. He said, okay, I got some place. So he took me a couple of blocks up. It was this older woman and an older man. She had one of her legs wrapped up and the older guy had a cane. And he walked right through the house without saying anything. I thought he stayed there. I spoke to them. I said, hello. They gave me this look. They didn't speak back. He went to this door and he told me, we going down the basement. I said, any light down there? It was dark when we first opened the door, but once we started going around and down, you could see it was lit up with candles. He had it set up like he was smoking there. I told him to go first, and then he held my hand, and we went on down. Once I got down there, I sensed something just evil went across me. It just wasn't feeling right. He smoked it, and then he tried to hand it to me. I didn't really inhale, so I'm still in my right mind. And I'm like, you know what? I'm finna go. When I got up, he jumped up and he said, you ain't going nowhere, bitch. Take your motherfucking clothes off. And I'm like, okay, okay. I must have was doing it too slow. And he started helping me. And I said, please, can I keep my shirt on? And he said, he didn't care. He let me keep my shirt on. He assaulted me. He had his hand on my neck. And I kept on trying to take it off. When he got done, he just laid on me. And I just rolled him off of me. I tried to get up and run when I got almost half up the steps. He caught me by the shirt that he allowed me to keep on. Not with fighting, 
and he's choking me until I can't even breathe in and out no more. And all I thought was, he finna kill me. I'm not gonna see my kids no more. But the strangest part, he wouldn't stop looking in my eye. No matter how he struggled, he didn't want to look away. He was looking right into my eye. Like it was something that he's supposed to be looking for. And all of a sudden, I heard a thump, thump. An older man came. He must have heard us fighting and struggling because I was fighting for my life. I hear that man. He said his name, but I was in so much shock, it didn't register. But I heard, what you doing to that girl down there? And we thought that he was going to open the door. So that's when he loosened up on my neck. And then I just, with all my might, my knee kicked him as hard as I could and then took both of my hands and knocked him down the steps and ran past that old man and ran on out the house, howling, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm running and running. And I left my shoes, panties, and pants down there, running down the street to my sister's house. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, somebody tried to kill me. And she said, you want me to call the police? And I said, no, because I thought for a long, long time that it was my fault. I shouldn't have had my ass out there. I shouldn't have been doing it. I'm going to let women know it doesn't give anybody the right to assault you, no matter what you're doing. I try to go on with life. For a while, I stopped smoking. I ended up going to jail for two weeks, and I ended up getting a probation officer. I had heard so many bad stories about probation. I said, I'm on these drugs, but I want to get myself together. I want to get my children back. Judge, he said, I'm going to lower your charge. Have you go to treatment center? My probation officer, she got me a bed at Horizon House. I ended up visiting my kids and having them for the weekend. Once I started sobering up, those girls and disappeared. And I'm thinking maybe they got themselves together and got their kids because sometimes we have conversations. I wanted to get themselves together and get their children back. They didn't want that life. Once I was sober, I'm starting to think now. It's sad to say they wasn't reporting it. They did not tell the public that there was a serial killer out there. The media did not cover this stuff like they supposed to. They're keeping it a secret. Don't nobody even really know about this. People stay right here in Milwaukee, don't know nothing about the Northside Strangler. Dahmer was killing the same time he was. He was killing the men. They knew it was a serial killer out there. They just didn't tell the club. My opinion, though, I just felt that they thought that he was just cleaning the street up. We didn't matter. They just started looking for anybody for these murders until he got a hold of Jessica. She's white. Jessica was a sex worker, too. But they said she was just a runaway. And they also are actually arresting black men and railroading them into these murders. I just want it to be fair. We're all human. They, like, dehumanized us. They pick and choose. And that race got a lot to do with it. Once I started putting stuff together, I just couldn't sleep. I was flipping like a fish. I told my counselor, she said, you have to tell. So she took me to the police station. I told them. I said, it's a serial killer out here. The police officer, he called one of his co-workers and said, listen to this. Tell them what you just told me. 
I said, it's a serial killer out here. They stopped making fun of me. I'm not credible enough. They don't care about him assaulting me. They didn't give me my chance. They didn't let me do a lineup. They didn't let me do nothing. They just let him go. I could have helped catch him much faster if they would have worked with me. Later on, they showed me a mugshot. It threw me. Why he had the same thing on on his mugshot when I met him. At the time, he had a beige button-up long sleeve shirt. When he showed me that picture after he told me to describe, he had the same thing on in his mugshot. I started crying. I'm thinking, that's what he got me so as he got out of jail. It was so creepy. We picked him up, but we let him go. You let him go? So he knows there's somebody that he let go that didn't told on him. They said, but he's not the one. I said, I say he didn't want, he did it to me. I start grouping up with a group of people we all know, and I stay safe that way. Later on, I had told Deborah, me and her became friends. And I told her, I said, girl, watch out, it's somebody out there that tried to kill me. I described him to her, don't go with him. But he ended up getting her anyway. One day, I went to my auntie's house, and the police came. They said, we're looking for Willie G. That was my old trick. And I said, what y'all looking for Willie G for? And they said, for the murder of Deborah Hat. I said, oh, Willie G did not kill her. I said, he got her. And they was like, he's not the one. He didn't get her because her death was different. I said, no, why? Because she Deborah a fight. They found his DNA in her. The reason why they had let him go, Amy, he fooled them. He paid his cellmate for his DNA. And they had to let him go. And another thing I found out later on, that he was an informant. He was telling on other people so they'd keep their eyes off of him. After my time was up, I didn't even want to come out the treatment center. They had me write an essay why I should stay longer. And I did, and they let me stay longer until my PO found me a transitional living place. So I ended up finding me a job, a car. I was excelling so fast. I ended up getting me an apartment, getting my kids back. I was started off as a machine operator to a welder. I started going up the ladder and making some nice money. I started working a job and a half, not spending as much time with the kids because I had to keep up with the Joneses. And then I ended up meeting my ex-husband. We ended up getting married. And then he said, well, now you can quit the other job. I'm trying to go on my life. I called senators. And I was telling them there was a serial killer out here. This is one office of many. She's too busy to look into stuff like this. I said, she ain't too busy to get my vote, though. Nobody want to listen to me. As usual, I felt invisible. I have felt invisible my whole entire life. People have just walked over me. I paid no attention. I just felt unprotected my whole entire life. I was always scared he was going to run up on me and find me. I don't even go down the basement by myself. So I try to go on my life. I'm married now. All of a sudden, he had got arrested. And I said I would like to confront him and say, you remember me? But they end up taking him to South Dakota. They find out that he paid for his DNA. And so what they did, they went to his girlfriend's house and told him they got a piece of hair. They got the correct DNA. It matched all the women.
he come and knock at my door. I said, white guy and a black guy. I said, what you want? I didn't open the door at first. I was at the top of my window. They said, your name Denise Winters, because my name had changed. I took my head back out the window. He said, no, we just want to ask you some questions. So I came downstairs and opened the door. Then they said that they was involved in Lovey and Lovey from Chicago's innocent project for innocent people that went to prison. There was some couple of guys that went to prison for the murders with Walter Ellis did. The lawyers argued that had they knew about me, that they would have had something to fight with. They said, Denise, take me to the house and he tried to put you in. I started crying. He was going to knock on the door. He didn't have to. He seen a man on the side of that house. He was watering the grass in the back. And he said, did an old lady, an old man live here? He said, yes, that was my parents. He said, do they know Walter Ellis? He hesitated and he said, yeah. He ran errands for my parents. And then he made a phone call to Chicago and said, she the one. They said, Denise, can you do a deposition? We can't pay you because you're over statute limitation, but can you help out? And then he gave me all these scenarios. Maybe the kids would get compensated. Did you end up being a part of that deposition and speaking out for those men that were wrongfully convicted? Yes, I did. They won the lawsuit. Shantae Oates did the most time, and his lawyer talked to me, too. He won $6.5 million in a civil lawsuit. They was filing civil lawsuits because they was railroaded into those murders. And all the maybes I got, maybe they'll look into the other bodies, maybe, and they did nothing. They just used me. They just wanted mm-hmm. me to win their case, and they went on about their lives and their business. However, I can help. I just help. I just keep going. All of a sudden, he passes away with natural causes. Do you know if he has any other living survivors? Lovey and Lovey from Chicago said, there is none. I'm the only one. Joe Dunn, he worked on my case, him and his brother. I told him to try to get my file. He got my file. Amy, it's a shame. You should see this. It's all bullshit. They got some gibberish up there. This is not this file. Why would you steal this? Joe Don said, I agree, Denise. It's just sad. They still today would not recognize these women. That's why I wrote the book. It's like almost guilt in a way. Your book is so beautiful. I noticed right at the top, you dedicate it to the women who were lost at this man's hands. Exactly. And their children, if I could give them some kind of closure. One of the kids contacted me. I wasn't expecting that. She said, I'm glad you wrote this book because I always had so many questions. I wanted to know and nobody said nothing. And she said, I'm glad you put yourself out there. She said, I'm glad you did it. It gives me some type of closure. My book is called The Untold Story, The One Who Got Away. It came out last year. The book cover is actually the same spot where I ran from. That's the actual house I ran from behind me. And the shirt is not the same shirt, but it was a shirt similar to the shirt I had on. Wow. I kind of try to reinvent how I was. When I was 12, me and my sister, we used to take a microphone. My mother loved Gladys Knight's song. My sister used to mimic them. We were saying, if anyone... 
true ever right. My life story. And a voice said, Denise, you gonna write your life story. And I was only 12 years old while my mother was living. I always told her year after year, I said, Mom, I feel I'm supposed to write this book. You better not write that book and embarrass me. That stopped me for a lot of years, too. I never really got to know my mom. She passed away. Every time I asked questions, questions about why did she leave us, shit always shit me down. Family members were scared because they didn't want me to release. And I told them, look, this is not about any of y'all. This is about me. It's about you healing. It's about you calling out the systems that allowed other women to be lost. It's about you acknowledging those women because you're one of his victims too. Their invalidation is also your invalidation and your invalidation is their invalidation. Exactly. I want to be their voices because I am one of them. They didn't even get a chance to change their life around. I did it for them because I was one of them. They have people that love them. They had children. They got treated like they were nothing. My therapist, she was like, Denise, maybe this will help you heal if you write the book, but you have a choice. You have a choice to put it out there or just keep it. But write, and it helped me heal. I went through so many therapists. You find some that are just listening and won't respond. Back in the day, they said that they didn't suppose to. They just listened. I didn't like that. Some of them was just there for the hour. They're not listening. But she gave me resources, and she was more engaged with me. And I said, she's the one. I trusted her, and I was comfortable with her. And I let everything out. I didn't leave a stone unturned. What else has helped you in healing in this aftermath? Just finding little goals and trying to accomplish them. Just make them real small enough where I can accomplish them. And it keeps me busy. I have a YouTube channel, Sip and Speak the Tea with D&D. Me and Danette decided to do a YouTube channel because me and Danette is both survivors. We still trying to find our niche. We want to go with having people tell their stories if they have a story to tell and try to make them comfortable. A lot of people from embarrassment, They hold in a story. We want to change that. We want people to be able to tell a story so they can help others. I want to be able to help people. God gave everybody a gift. I don't have a gift of singing or dancing and none of that. I know I got a gift of giving and helping people because I get a great gratitude from that. You are a communicator and a healer. I just really appreciate you communicating all this. What advice do you have for anyone who's seeking justice or hoping for justice or advice for someone who's healing from a trauma like assault? I would want them to know that it's not their fault. Don't feel guilty. It's not your fault. No matter what you're doing, no one has the right to violate you. Stand up and say something. It may stop him from doing it to someone else. When you standing up for yourself, that helps others. A lot of us are embarrassed and scared of what everybody's going to say about us. I was a sex worker, so they figure, oh, we don't have to worry about her coming out. But I did. Even though I haven't got justice, you can heal 
and you can grow. The fact that you can find a way to validate and hear other people after being invalidated and unheard for so long is really an exceptional hint at who you are. I'm just trying to like myself. And I just never liked myself. I had such low self-esteem. I thought I was dumb, nothing, because my mother told me every day I wasn't anything. I hear so much compassion for humanity, your desire to be there for the other victims, desire for future victims to protect them. You have just unending compassion and love. Thank you for that, because that is what changes things. When we have that ability to come forward and offer that compassion and knowledge and awareness to other people, that's where the change happens. I appreciate you, Amy, but let me tell my story. All I want people to do is listen and then maybe learn people can heal from their trauma. The man who assaulted Denise was arrested in 2009 and convicted in 2011 for the rape and murder of seven women. The murders he was eventually charged with, and that earned him the salacious nickname of the Northside Strangler, spanned the years of 1986, which is when Denise was attacked, to 2007. They were finally solved using DNA evidence, although as Denise mentioned, it is believed that her attacker was allegedly responsible for a number of other deaths. This episode is dedicated to Deborah Harris, Tanya Miller, Irene Smith, Florence McCormick, Sheila Ferrier, Joyce Ann Mims, Oethrian C. Stokes, Karen Kilpatrick, Jessica Payne, and his other victims. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next... I had two different officers ask me why I didn't just stop using the internet. The last one, it was like 2014, 2015. I'm like, how can I stop using the internet? The fire marshal who is handling the investigation, they said, we're not pursuing this case any further. We didn't think anything else was going to happen. After she does that podcast, he walked back his guilty plea. One of the sentencing appearance things, his lawyer showed up to court. Then a ton of reporters start running the story. I also don't know, is that going to make him mad? And is this going to blow back on me? What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.